You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these uninspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. There's a quote that I use a great deal in this teaching by uh, Rumi. That is, past and future veil God from our sight. Burn both of them with fire. Love that. Past and future veil God from our sight. Burn both of them with fire. Meaning all we have is this very moment. Always, always, already here, already here. It's always already now. It is only now. And it's now. Now. It's all there is. Even if you have a memory, that memory happens in the now. If your brain, your mind starts cooking in the future, that cooking, that planning, occurs in the now. Everything only occurs in the now. And we can have a felt sense of this experience when we burn past and future with fire. And when we are able to do that, it's not only that we see, to use Rumi's metaphor, God, it's not only that we see God, it's we see as, from, through, and with God. So we've spent, but this is our core, we've spent a lot of time over the past several weeks looking at different ways of kind of realizing this in our day-to-day. Because after all, that's how it becomes relevant. If it isn't something that we can actually use it's an esoteric practice that uh, won't have a lot of legs to it. It won't be able to carry our practice with any type of integrity. We've talked about the two truths, the two truths being that we have the conventional or the normal reality, and then we have the uh, ultimate or absolute reality. In the absolute, everything is infinite. Everything is all one thing. In the conventional reality, we see everything as many, as separated, as atomized. In the conventional reality, I'm in here, everything else is out there, and I operate from that place. In the ultimate or absolute reality, I recognize that that it's all one thing. It's all only spirit. We've talked about this also as the world of form. In the normal world of form or in the manifest realm, if you want to get technical about it, and in the formless realm of emptiness or unmanifest where nothing is created, nothing is made. Everything springs from that unmade, uncreated 
expanse. That radical estate of emptiness gives birth to all things, and they arise in our consciousness. Another way we've talked about this is we've talked about the contracted sense of self and that this work is about informing that contraction with that which is truly expansive. And this practice allows for that expanse to kind of not only blossom within our awareness, but it stills everything that moves. Absolute stillness is absolute awakening. Mind is everything that moves. Ego is everything that moves. You can use ego and mind interchangeably. Time itself is constantly moving. The minute we burn time with fire, the veils are gone, and spirituality unfolds within us in a really magical, mystical, profound, powerful way that changes the lives not only of ourselves but of all beings in the process. So we can look at everything as kind of this, uh, you know, contracted, expansive, unmanifest, manifest, conventional, ultimate, big, small. However, I mean, we can create that division and talk about it. And of course, everything we say, every way we kind of point towards, you know, Go to infinity, go to infinity, go to infinity, get there, get there, get there. You know, they're only pointers. You actually have to do that walk. Practitioners have to do that walk. No one will enlighten you. No one will enlighten you. And if someone says they can or that they will, um, you can do two things. Uh, you could either really check them out with all deliberate skepticism or run and I would usually recommend the latter. This work is about you. It's not about your projection onto anybody else. It's about uncovering what's always already been there. The present moment has always already been there. Your connection with that present moment tends to fall away. We tend to get caught with past and future burning past and future with fire is simply uncovering that present moment in your awareness. As we do that, we slowly but surely have the opportunity to integrate that which is truly expansive with that which is truly limited. Instead of the limited view thinking it's absolute, which is very common, ego thinking that it's got it, okay, instead of that occurring, and instead of us just relaxing in this bliss state where we never move, we never do anything, we bring the two together. We bring the two together in a wholeness, in an integration that we've spoken about. We take mind and couple it, infuse it with no mind. No mind is, in Zen, we, we use that term to describe that space between our thoughts. We let that space between our thoughts 
consciously inform every one of our thoughts. We adapt to this recognition of a more expansive perspective and in adapting, in that adaptation, we also enhance that in us which feels limited. And it's all in this perspective. It's all in our perspective. How do we view? I, I love using this metaphor. When you go into the Berkeley Hills on an October night, a clear October night, and you gaze out onto the lights of that beautiful city, you see the lights of this majestic city. You don't see everything that's going on in that beautiful city. But you see it as a whole. You see it as something broad and expansive. Now, if you were able to miraculously zoom into what was actually going on in individual places in that city, your perspective would shift radically into one of deep contraction, right? You're now looking at individual lives in apartment 7B, like rear window, you know, Jimmy Stewart watching, you know, everything that's going on and uncovering all this, the, these many different realities that are going on right in his, you know, outside of his back window, his rear window. Imagine if we could do that. We could see how everything in really small ways is so very, very, very different. Still part of this magical, mystical scene that we call San Francisco, right? But also tightly bound in these little teeny individuated worlds. And the deeper you get into those tiny individuated worlds, the more you recognize that the infinite expanse is within each of those views. Each crime that is occurring, each bit of lovemaking that is going on, each artistic event that is being viewed with awe, all of that can be seen in two ways. Neither one is better than the other, but they both exist simultaneously. Our perspective allows us to see more of one or another. Recognizing them both at once is when we awaken. So, opening to that broad perspective and that limited perspective all at once becomes this work. And it's difficult because our problem tends to be when we're identified with our mind, when we're identified with ego, we are inherently dissatisfied. Our baseline is only mild satisfaction. Glimpses, fleeting as they may be, of wonderfulness happen. They do happen in this tightened world of form, in the mind identification. It does happen. But ego, ego will not let us stay there for very long. Otherwise, it's out of a job. When we identify 
with the thoughts and feelings that we have. We are also simultaneously identifying with time because thoughts and feelings arise within the context of time. Our pain, all the pain that we feel, is based on a previous experience. We take that previous experience, use it as a template at light speed. This is how our mind works. At light speed, we take that template, throw it on there, and go, aha, that's pain. That doesn't mean pain is something you should uh, indulge or avoid. It means that it is based on past. Just like stress is based on a future outcome, a future event that hasn't happened yet. We are here and we want to be there somewhere in the future. And the distance, depending on how intense it is, that distance tears at the fundamental essence of existence, which is right here, right now, things are happening. Are you there for them or are you somewhere else? And so often in the mind, when we're identified with the mind, we are only somewhere else. So we go back to Ram Das's point, be here now. Absolutely. Be here now. That's all there is. Don't deny your past, nor should you deny or take an irresponsible approach to the future. But you better allow for that point of centration, spiritual, psychological centration, to be in this present moment. When we identify with our past, we identify with cravings, needs, and wants of something that used to be. And this keeps alive in us a residual or a ongoing low-grade pain. An ongoing low-grade level of pain. In that space where we are constantly craving, needing, and wanting something that we used to have, we're never enough. It's a very, very common, ordinary, natural disease for our mind, for our ego. As long as ego can convince us that we are not enough, or it can at least believe the stories that the media tell us about not being enough, that if we just buy this product, we'll be complete. Or if I just do this, then everything will be okay. If we, can, if we watch how mind does that, this gives energy to our pain. I'm just not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, yeah. Ego loves this. Ego's in charge as long as it can convince the self-system that this is true. That you approach the world from a place of lack. And that's the only option. Pain is oriented in our past. Fear is oriented in our future. Dreams, aspirations, outcomes, if we give them tremendous psychological and spiritual energy, these attachments give rise to 
anxiety. And anxiety can turn into fear. And abject horror, too, if you give it even more fuel. But this low-grade level of anxiety happens when we really give into dreaming, aspiring, and we hang on to these outcomes with tremendous forceful intention. It's not an intention of expanding. It's not big intention. It's focused intention that is just the same thing as attachment. Small intentionality, big intentionality. And the small intentionality we perpetually run into this idea that oh, my dreams, my aspirations, these outcomes that I'm hoping for, I'm too much. I'm too much. I, want, I don't deserve this. This gives more energy to pain and fear. A not feeling worthy. Or feeling like you want too much or that you are too much. In either of these dances, we run into tr significant dysfunction. And the beauty is, and the message here, is that you are neither of these realities. You are neither your past, nor are you your future. You are not what you achieve in any future event, and you are not your past, no matter what mistakes or glories you have experienced. Identifying with either of these spaces is merely being locked in the egoic, mind-oriented, conventional truth as opposed to allowing the universe to expand within your heart and mind into the ultimate state of grace, emptiness, absolute, unquantifiably fulfilling, rich infinity. And this is accessed through just a deeper level of consciousness as we begin to still ourselves, as we begin to still our minds and our bodies. We are no longer, once we reach this point of stillness, needing to defend our possessions, needing to defend or feed our work, our reputation, our educational achievements or non-achievements, our appearance, social group, religion, belief system, values, relationships, history, whatever it is that we have identified with previously, or whatever it is in that componentry I just kind of listed there that we wish to attain in some future event, excuse me, in some future moment, all of that becomes quite superfluous and inconsequential as we become still. The stillness brings us freedom from identifying with all of this stuff. It is seen as stuff compassionately and tenderly. Oh, got all this stuff. More to let go of. More to let go of. And this all just comes from our perspective, the perspective of stillness. 
the perspective of opening ourselves radically to this idea that past and future veil God from our sight. We just burn both of them with the fire of our awareness. How do you burn the past and future? Um, Rumi's recommendation is that you burn them with fire. Get a match. And <laughs> yeah, but that match is the light of your own consciousness. It's the light of your own awareness. It's that fire of your own witnessing presence that is always there. Right now, you are witnessing the feeling of the floor beneath your body. You're witnessing the sound of my voice. You're witnessing my visage, right? You're witnessing the feeling of the microphone in your hand. And it, that attention is always there. You just focus your consciousness on that awareness very quickly. Come from that awareness. Be aware. Be conscious of everything that's going on and you burn past and future with the fire of your awareness. So just being now is the actually the act of burning the past and future. Right. Right. Okay. But don't attach to the now, otherwise it's not now. Right. Okay. Just be in the moment. Be in the moment. Be in the moment. Be responsible for everything that comes out of this moment. Okay? And honor everything that led to this moment. But do both of those things simultaneously by really being in this moment. When you are in this moment, instead of being angry, you observe your anger. Observing your anger and being angry are two radically different things. Observing your addiction and becoming your addiction are two very different things. This is about observing. It's not about, you know, disengaging. It's actually about integrating deeply the always already ever-present spiritual aspect of being with your life as it is lived in the world of form. So paying very, very close attention to what's going on all the time with full awareness is the continual lighting of a match to always burn away every new veil that shows up. But is not anger related to the past? Sure. So well, I find that when I get into the moment very much so, I don't feel any anger at all. Yeah, you're right. So, stay there. You're cured. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened only occasionally, but when I'm meditating, sometimes an emotion comes up that's very overwhelming. Yeah. And you know, I don't know whether I should sort of say, oh, well, stop, you know, not stop, but, yeah. you know. Right. Get this awareness and be the observer. I got somebody sitting next to me. I don't want to freak out. Yeah. yeah well, right. no, no. <laughs> no, I don't mean, I mean, this is a right. by myself. But what's your recommendation in, in, sometimes I think it's good to just go into the emotion 
you know, just full, maybe fully experience it, and yet you're in the middle of a meditation. You know, well, keep in mind, meditation's job is to loosen up all the defenses. Well, it did it, huh? Right, right, right. And so what meditation, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how meditation is designed for a couple of things. Among, firstly, meditation is designed to fail at bringing you any closer to spirit. Okay? It shows you, let me show it shows you that you already are. Meditation begins to loosen up the attachments and identifications you have with everything, everything you've always maintained is true. And that is, yeah, it's like, you know, lighting your head on fire. It's about that fun, you know? It's a very, very scary thing when you start getting into it deeply, okay? But, secondly, if you have that courage, if you have that courage, coming out on the other side of that is a miracle. That is your birthright. You were born to do this. Instead of, you know, uh, so, so in relationship to what, what you're talking about, as stuff gets loosened, observe the loosening. If tears happen in that process, or laughter, peals of laughter happen in that process, that's all good. Okay? It's just fine. Going into it is different. Swimming around in the chaos of the emotion and really indulging in it is not the teaching stuffing it way down inside and putting it in a nice pretty little box saying, oh, I'll deal with this later, is also not the teaching. What's right in between those will be your art. And enjoy it. Well, it's interesting to me that, <laughs> you know, it can be sadness and it can be, I mean, I find myself smiling as often it, as... Infinitely? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah. That's what I'm working on. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Thanks for the question. Michael, you talk about observing and how does one do the observing without judgment or is it just through practice and awareness because I find I'm very judgmental of myself mm -hmm. and when I'm aware which isn't all a, <coughs> excuse me which isn't all the time obviously it's just practicing is yeah. that what you're saying I think so. I think that there's a difference also between if if there's if there's judgment happening, that's not the witness. If there's judgment happening, that's the ego. If there is and listen very carefully to this because this is there's a huge difference between these two things and it's a very common mistake. If there is discriminating awareness, you are actually aware of the judging. 
the you that is aware of the judging is the expansive self. The judger is ego. So what you're doing is you're watching ego, a limited view, try to articulate itself as an infinite one whenever it starts judging. Okay? The infinite, the infinite expanse is that in you that watches the self-criticism and says, oh, wow, there it was. There it was again, self-criticism. The thing that is watching that is totally invulnerable to the, the slings and arrows of outrageous criticism. It's absolutely, it, it's bring on, bring on the stones, bring on the arrows, bring on some spears and swords too. This doesn't hurt because I'm watching it. You can't hurt me because I'm not even a me. I'm infinite. I'm infinitely aware. Now what can get hurt and what is constantly under threat is the thing that's judging. And whenever it starts turning around, becoming, you know, destroying internally the self, whenever it starts doing that, that generates guilt. It's merely rage directed inwardly. That's all that, that's all that ever is. And if you can just watch that happen, the thing that is watching that go on comes, its strength comes from practice. It's the spiritual athleticism I kind of talk about every once in a while. It's where you just constantly, continually watch your experience as it's happening. And pretty soon that becomes your point of, uh, I always say this, the, the, uh, the center of gravity for your psychology and your spirituality. Discriminating awareness has no ego involved at all. Judgment is entirely egoic. And is one attached to that? One is attached to judgment. Discriminating I... awareness, you can't attach to it because it's aware of the attachment. And, and if you watch it, you can. I mean, yeah. It, it, it can amuse you. If, if you have that You get that clarity, smile on your face, that, 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 that clarity, infinite smile. That, that, that <laughs> if you get that clarity and really get it, let go of it quickly so that the smile can stay longer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I actually have two questions. Sure, John. First is, um, is ambition, is that wrong? Is it something that we need to get rid of? And is that desire to achieve something that we need to get rid of? Oh, I hope not. Um, what I would consider though, based, you know, what the teaching would, would point toward though, is not getting rid of anything. It's becoming intimate with the relationship that you have with your ambition. In other words, if you identify, if you create an identity around you, the ambitious nature of you or the achievement orientation that you've been brought up with, if you create a whole identity, if there's a lot of coulds, shoulds, woulds, and so forth around all that ambition, it's not just an ambition. It's a series of deep-seated attachments. And those are veiling God from your sight, as Rumi would say. So, the antidote to this, and by the way, 
you're a good Westerner if you've had that go on, you know, if you've had that, uh, that, uh, that whole ambition uh, paradigm kind of yoking you from the time you were young. It's very, very normal. But the way out of that is to recognize that goals can be set with deep intention. You know, this is, I would really like to achieve this. They become toxic when that achievement is gripped and it's come hell or high water, I'm getting this. That can hurt not only you, but also everyone you come in contact with because you will compromise, at least on an ethical level, lots of different things. If, on the other hand, wouldn't it be neat if I could do this? Let's see what happens. And every single day, you consciously and intentionally meet your experience with full awareness on the path to getting there. You may or may not achieve the goal you set out to get. But invariably, your consciousness will have deepened.